We continue in this series of, of looking at the life of Jonah. In, a, in the sermon series, Accepting and Rejecting the Grace and Mercy of God, we see that Jonah is in full rebellion at this point. He is leaning on his own strength and knowledge. He is forsaking the word of God and even more so, he is running from the presence of God. He is um, running in the opposite direction of the way that God is calling him to go. And yet, in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, we see that God is still good. And we see that God's mercy and his grace is pursuing him. And we see that even in the midst of pagan sailors, his, his accountability is there. His presence is there. His, his goodness is there. With, even, even in the midst of this storm, we see him, we see Jonah full in the midst of God's what would seem like wrath toward Jonah in his disobedience. But I would ask I would ask this today, which of us have survived the wrath of God, that we may speak to his harsh power? I contend that what most would call in this situation the wrath of God through this storm that God has hurled upon the sea, I would contend that it is actually the, the faithful goodness of the Lord in reconciling his servant, Jonah, back to himself. This is a, a perfect picture of how God actually leaves the 99 in order to, to grasp the one lost sheep. The goodness, God's goodness, does not waver. The goodness doesn't even characterize God, but God actually characterizes and defines goodness. He is therefore the final standard of goodness. And despite our situation, despite what we go through, and despite what it may look like at times, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Luke 18 and 19 says, after one of the Pharisees called him good, he, he comes back and asks them, why do you call me good? There's no one good except for God alone. All that God does is worthy of approval. All that he does is good. We see that in creation of the world in Genesis 1:31, God saw everything that he had made, and he and behold, it was very good. And like the psalmist in Psalms 119 and 68, he says, "You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes." The definition and the source of good all lies with, with God. We see that James 1.17, it, it tells us that he is the source of goodness. It says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with, with whom there is no variableness, there is no change, neither a shadow of turning. He is good. He has always been good. And Scripture tells us that we will never live in a world that, where God is not good. It's impossible. 
It is a part of his nature. It is a part of who he is. And we see the goodness and the grace of God just shadowing and overshadowing and pursuing Jonah in this, in this text. Although some may take comfort in goodness, others do not. We, we live in a society today that does not value the fact that God is the definer and the definition of good. We, we live in a, in a society where our society does not take comfort in that, in that there is only one source of goodness and God is it. This is the most offensive concept to the generation in which we live. There's one standard of goodness and whether we accept it or reject it, it has no bearing on the fact of, that God is indeed good. And we, we see right now that the goodness of God does one, well, three things. The first thing that it does is that it calls out our sin. God is holy and there's none like him. And all others are sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we see today in our text that God's goodness and his grace and his mercy in the pursuit of Jonah, it draws him out and it calls him out on his sin. In verse 7 it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. They are, they are seeking to know why this calamity has fell upon them. And Jonah, I'm sure, as he sits back quietly amongst these pagan sailors, is comforted in the fact that they don't know how to seek out and find the truth. So he is sitting back in his silent rebellion, hoping not to be called out on his truth. This is, this is one of the craziest things right here because He's sitting back while they're casting lots and their life is in danger. This isn't just a quiet scene of them casting lots and trying to figure out what's wrong. This is, a, they are in imminent danger. Time is of essence because the water, as, as we see in, in earlier texts, that the ship is threatening to break apart. They are in the midst of a, an unprecedented storm. They are in the midst of, of danger, of imminent life danger. And while the, the mariners are trying to do something about it, while the, the sailors are trying to do something about it, we see that Jonah already knows. And we see this is what sin does to us. It, it, it makes the, the roles flip. Instead of the prophet of God who was ordained and called to to speak truth on behalf of God, to, to shed light where there's not. We see that the prophet is in silent rebellion, knowing the will of God, and we see the pagans are actively seeking to know the will of God. They are actively seeking in their limited capacity, in their limited factions, to know what evil this is that has fallen upon them. They know that it's not a natural evil. They sailed many times, and they know that this is not a natural storm that they're in. And what are they doing? They are actively seeking to know on whose account this evil has come. The practice of casting lots is this unbiased system that 
um, was commonly practiced in this day to figure out and to discern the will of God or to figure out and to discern what is right, what is wrong, what decisions they should make. Um, And this was the only way, this was one of the only things that, uh, that they had in their toolbox in order to figure out what was going on. It tells us, it says, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country, and what are, the, what are your people? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry ground. So we see right now that that. The pagans are questioning. God has actually blessed the pagans in this casting of lots in order to know the truth. Proverbs 16.33 says that the, the lots fall in, in your lap, but God ultimately decides the outcome. And we see right now that this is a perfect picture of that Proverbs because the pagans who do not know the Lord has been able to to seek out and find the truth of whose evil this has come upon us. And they have rightly called Jonah out on his sin. So while Jonah was seeking to conceal his evil, the pagans, we see the pagans are seeking to actually to shun evil. We see the pagans, they are acting in wisdom where they are seeking to hear from God and actually shun evil. And we see the prophet of God acting foolishly, trying to actually conceal the truth, trying to run from the presence of the Lord, trying to conceal evil. So we see that the goodness of God in this instance, it exposes and rebukes sin in our life. The very thing that he was trying to get away from, God makes known his guilt to the, to the sailors. God exposes his foolish and futile attempts to flee God's presence. And God exposes the hardness of Jonah's heart. He admits guilt, but he won't repent. It says in verse 9, he, he openly tells the, the sailors, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, and the God of heaven who has made the sea and the dry land. As soon as the mariners hear this, they are exceedingly afraid and say to him, why have you done this? He is trying to run away from the very God who has created the very thing that they're on. He has created the sea, and he's trying to get away from the God who created the sea. He has created the dry ground, and he is fleeing from, trying to flee from the presence of the God of the universe, the one who has created heavens and the earth, the one who has fashioned everything that is. The, the mariners see the futility of Jonah's rebellion and flee. So the first thing that God's goodness does and his, of his grace and his mercy, it exposes and rebukes sin. The second thing that God's goodness should do for us is for us to seek right standing. Jonah's response should have been repentance and turning from his will and accepting God's will, but 
Verse 12 reads, and he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. So instead of telling the, the mariners what is right, they, they were requesting, what, what should we do? They are going to the right source. Matter of fact, they're seeking God and casting lots. They're seeking the prophet after they know that this is where the evil has come from. And when they ask the prophet of God, what should we do? He says, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. This is an immense of guilt, but not repentance. A lot of times in life we can go and we can admit what we've done to others. We can admit what we've done and that we are the source of the evil that has come upon the situation and that we are dead wrong. But until we admit that to God and, and obey him and turn from our way, we see right here that Jonah wasn't ready to turn from his way. He, he was acknowledging that he was, he was the source of this calamity, that because he is not fearing the, word, the Lord, that calamity is falling into him and to the ones that he has placed in his life at this time. But he is not, we, we don't see that Jonah has addressed God yet. He has not cried out into the Lord. He, he has not sought repentance and and. His every move says that he is not sorry for what he's doing. He is still trying to ride out his plan and his motion. We see the pagans acting more like Christians. We see these sailors acting more like God-fearers than the man of God is in this moment. And that is what the goodness of God will do. Like, it will pursue you. We have, to, we have to understand that the mercy of God is not arbitrary like the casting of lots. This is, this is not an arbitrary thing that Jonah has, has boarded this ship. And this is not an arbitrary thing that Jonah was among these mariners at this time. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, we have to understand that God knows what's going to happen. We have to know that God is sovereign in that way and that his goodness and his mercy flows and it is not an arbitrary thing. His goodness is enough for the situation at this point in time. So when God gave Jonah the word of the Lord, he also saw Jonah's heart. He not only saw the 120,000 souls in Nineveh, but he also saw the heart of his prophet. And not only did he see the heart of his prophet, but he saw the heart of the men that were sailing this ship at this time. We have to know that and we have to, and we have to trust that God is, is, is not thwarted by man's disobedience and rebellion. We have to know that Jonah's disobedience in this moment was known by God. Matter of fact, it was it was planned and predestined even before the, the beginning of time that he knew that Jonah would flee. He knew that you would rebel. He knew that you and I would rebel at the, at, at the hearing of his word. Rebellion is not something that thwarts God's plans. Rebellion is something that is punished by God. Rebellion is something that is heinous to God. Rebellion is something that we see as futile is, that is as futile as trying to flee the presence of God, but rebellion 
Each and every one of our stories start with rebellion. When you heard of God, you were knee deep and life deep in your rebellion of not serving and not being in regard of God. And we see that these are where these sailors are today. God had them in mind when when he sent Jonah to Nineveh. And these, these sailors are actually giving us a great picture of repentance. They are seeing firsthand the power of God in their lives. They are seeing the power of God. They are being stripped of everything that they once had faith in. They were calling out to their gods futilely. Their gods could not do anything from, for them in the presence and in the power of the almighty and one true God. And we see that this is what God does to us. He strips away our heart idols and he replaces that faith and, 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 and uh, trust into him. There is nobody in this instance that can do anything for these sailors other than Jesus right now in this situation. God has gotten them into this situation and only God can get them out. We see that, that even at hearing what they had to do would throw Jonah into the sea, that it did not seem right to them. So nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry land, but they couldn't do it on their own strength. You cannot save yourself. We see that human effort cannot get you out of a God-hurled uh, storm. God hurls these storms in our lives to expose these things that we trust in that are not him. They were trusting in their, in their skill as sailors, and it has failed in the midst of God's power. They were trusting in the pantheon of gods that, that they were used to serving to get their way to have a favorable outcome, but they are realizing that none of those guys can get them out of the storm. They were trusting now in their own strength and ability, but, but we see that God's goodness allowed them to go just far enough that they weren't able to roll themselves back out of. And he does that to us today. He puts us in situations where we cannot trust our parents. We cannot trust, put our trust in our friends and our family. We can't put our trust in uh, the prayers of someone else. But he, he strips away all of those people in our lives when we are in rebellion in this way. And he, he causes us to lean and to, to depend and see the power of and stand in awe of his awesome power and might. We see that God's goodness and his mercy that pursues us strips away our heart idols. It recalibrates the things that we can have faith in. It tears down these these little strongholds in our lives that we are used to running to. And some may, may call it the wrath of God, but I call it the faithful goodness of God that pursues me, his mercy that pursues me all the days of my life. He ushers me and he shepherds me back into his good graces. He knew even before the beginning of time how much grace and how much mercy it would, he would need to usher me back into his will. And he knows for these mariners that they are at that point. 
Not only are they seeking to hear from God, but once they're seeking to hear from God, they are seeking to be in right standing with God. They are, they are seeking to, to appease this God. And, and like appeasing other gods, they weren't able to do it with their own acts. And we see that our works can't justify us. In this text, we see that there's nothing that we can do short of having faith in this God that can save us from the storms that he has placed in our lives. So we see, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, we see that they cry out to the Lord. This is where the grace and the mercy of God leads us to. After he strips away um, after he exposes our sin and, and strips away our heart idols, he causes us to have to personally cry out to the Lord for salvation. In verse 14, it says, Therefore they cried out to the Lord, O, God, o Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us the innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done as it pleased you. And we see all the while, while they are crying out to the Lord, God, Jonah hasn't spoken one time to God. We, we see that though the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God was enough to, to, to cause these, these people to cry out to God and to want to change their ways and to want to appease them, uh, to appease God in whatever way that uh, they needed to, we see that it's not so with Jonah. Jonah is the perfect picture in this moment of what a hardened heart is. He knows the will of God because the word of the Lord came clearly to him. And he knows what God requires. And in the face of sheer death, he chooses, he chooses to disobey and to remain in his rebellion rather than turn to the good plan of God, rather than to soften his heart, even in his recognition of guilt, he would rather remain guilty than to do what God requires. And, and we may look down on Jonah. I could not understand why Jonah would face death before he would just obey. Many times in the face of death, we are we are crying out to God, just like we see the sailors are. Many times in the face of death, we are running back to his will. We are crying out to see. We are repenting of our sins. We are trying to get back in good graces, but we don't see that with Jonah. We see a more silent rebellion. He knows the only way to get out of this call that God has called him to is if, he, if he's not here anymore. So right now, he would rather die than to go to Nineveh and offer the grace and the grace that God has extended to Nineveh. And it sounds crazy, but we do the same thing. Instead of trusting God when he defines it clearly 
in our marriages, we choose to do other things. We, we choose to remain in our sin and, and not to honor God because it's the harder way or because we don't want to at that time or because it doesn't serve us well or because we don't want to die to our own wills. We choose to lust after other women. This is, this is a death sentence right here. Like this disobedience isn't just, oh, I'm... I'm going to ignore God, or I'm going to delay in obeying God. There's one of two ways that rebellion goes. You either are obedient to God's statutes and his laws, or you're disobedient, and you are at risk of death and dying. Romans 3, 23, as stated earlier, we said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of all have sinned. We're all sinners. In Romans 6 and 23, it tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We choose to try to define good and evil for ourselves in every one of our our situations. It it may not be in our marriages or relationships. Maybe Maybe it's with our finances or with our children. He has defined what is good and evil in these things. And when we do not and choose not to honor him in in what he has clearly defined, we are actually choosing death. We are looking like Jonah who is sitting in silent rebellion. And instead of doing what God and repenting of the evil that he knows what he should be doing, we sit there and, and we say my way or the highway in these different areas of life. We We say that I I want my will and my way. And when we do that, we are choosing death. We are exposing our heart idols before God. And God is exposing it before us when when he clearly defines what is good and evil in these different areas. Are we going to trust him? In the light of the truth of the gospel... In the light of God's grace and mercy, we should, be, we should be grateful that we're still alive. We should be ready, ready to serve him. We should be ready to die to our will knowing that his way leads to life and our way leads to death. But here we sit with Jonah in this boat that is constantly taking on water that is threatening not only us. Our sin doesn't just threaten us, but it threatens everybody around us. It affects our family. When we don't trust him in the way that he says do relationships, we cause, we cause our families, we cause the ones closest to us to hurt. We are choosing death for us, but then Jonah doesn't care if these sailors die either. We are so lavished in in grace, just like we see Jonah was. His life was defined by the grace of God. He was born into the right nation. He was the chosen people of God. And then set apart. Just by being the chosen people of God, he was set apart. And we see that. And being even more set apart, he was called to the high office of prophet of God, one who speaks on behalf of God. His life is lavished in the grace of God. But in this grace of God, I think 
Jonah forgets that he also needs mercy too. It's not just grace of God that, that we have to cherish. We, we are, some of us are like Jonah. We've grown up in the church. We've always been a Christian. I, I, my, my grandmother was a Christian. My, my mom was a Christian. And I, I'm a Christian now. Like, this, this was our story too. We were born into the right family who went to church. And, and we see ourselves as morally superior, but we see that God is calling out Jonah on his hatred. Jonah, we see that he had a, a murderous heart. He would rather die in his sin toward God than have the grace and the mercy of God shed to anybody else. And, and we see that right now, like in our lives, some, sometimes we see that Others are being blessed. Other people who don't honor God are being blessed in our lives. How does that make us feel? It's easy to say in, in these contexts that it makes us, oh, we don't mind. We, we praise God if the grace of God shines in someone else's life. But there's a hint of jealousy that is within us all. There's a hint of selfishness that is within us all. There's a hint of self-righteousness just like Jonah had. He was the, they were the chosen nation. They were the ones doing everything right. And, and there may be somebody right now in, in the context of uh, God's good purpose for marriage or, and family who are unable to have kids but see different people who don't honor God having children every day. How does that make us feel when the grace of God not only reigns on the just but also the in, unjust? How does it make us feel? This should, this should draw up some of our heart idols when we get passed up on a job, when we are praying for that promotion, when we are being faithful to what God has placed in front of us, but then someone less faithful and someone who doesn't honor God um, in the way that we honor God or don't, doesn't honor God at all gets the promotion over us. How does that make us feel? Does it make us feel like Jonah, that they don't deserve it? Would we rather see them perish or, or not get that? Or does it make us jealous? Does this bring up the selfishness and the heart idols that God wants, it to, wants us to? But even more than that, we see that God, God has gifted Jonah with these different skills and gifts. And... And we're thankful for the grace and mercy of, of those things. But how do we feel when God showers his grace and mercy on those who we feel don't deserve it? Even further, what, is, what if those gifts and talents that God has blessed and equipped you with were given to become the unmerited grace and favor to the very people that you feel least deserve it? What if every talent and every gift that you've been given was meant to serve people that you cannot stand? God, God is calling us out. God is calling us to his higher purpose, and we see that his goodness and his grace is bringing this out. And even in the face of death, he would rather see the Ninevites perish than to be the one to bring them into salvation. His legacy then goes from prophet of God to the one who saved the evil people of Nineveh. 
It doesn't serve his image well. It doesn't serve him well. It doesn't serve his ideal of justice that God should have well. We, we see that it, does, it brings up these uh, heart issues within us. The goodness of God brings up these heart issues within us, and either we're going to have a soft and receptive heart to God or we're going to harden our hearts to God because we don't like how God chooses to wield his grace and his mercy. I'm telling you today that God right now is using you to save sinners and not just the lost sinners that, that we can have pity and compassion and, and tweet on Instagram and Facebook and, and brag about how we have shared the gospel too, but I'm talking about heinous sinners just like ourselves. The ones who are murderers in their heart, the ones who have hatred in their heart, the one that we don't have compassion for. God is, 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 has lavished his grace and his mercy and given you the insight and the knowledge of him in order to save sinners. Paul even says this is why God, this is why Christ entered the world that, he said this, this saying is trustworthy and accepting a full um, acceptance that Christ came to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1 and 15, Christ came to save sinners. And we see that, we see this is exactly what he does. His goodness and his grace, it does, it's enough. His mercy and his grace is not ever not enough. His, his goodness, whether despite your situation, whether, whether you are in a storm or you are on dry land, whether the sun is shining or whether it's raining outside, God's goodness is good enough. His, his grace is sufficient in your life. And we see that his grace in the, at this point was sufficient enough to save, these, to save these sailors. They reluctantly pick up Jonah and they hurl, they finally obey, they hurl Jonah into the sea after after begging God not to hold that innocent blood on their account. And then the sea quiets down, and we see that through this grace of God saving and and reassuring them of their safety, that they go immediately, and they are in fear, exceeding fear of the Lord, and they go and offer sacrifices, and they make vows to this God who has saved them. Many And it's unclear if this is salvation, if this is salvitic, but there are certain things that are clear. They came in direct contact with God. And in direct contact with the power of God and seeking them, they they, um, showed that they wanted to be in right standing with this God. They repented. they, They repented by their actions and wanting to please and satisfy God. And even in their words, it says in verse 14, O Lord, you have done as it pleased you. They recognize that it isn't what we want. That They recognize their lack of control in this situation. They, lack, they realize the control that God has had in that situation, and they put themselves at the mercy of that God. 
And in this case, for these sailors, it wasn't their pantheons of gods that have saved them, but they were in full acknowledgement that it was the God of Jonah whom he was fleeing from, who by his grace have quieted the storms on their behalf. This is the appropriate response of the gospel. Conversion states, the theological definition for conversion states that it is the appropriate response to the gospel. We see that Jonah definitely did not have the appropriate response to the gospel, but we see that um, by their actions, the sailors did. They, They knew where their salvation had come from, and because of this, either out of thankfulness or out of true fear of God, but the, but the text said, then the, mere, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. They had an re- appropriate response to the power and the goodness of God. They submitted themselves to the will of God, not only in, in seeking to be in right standing, but also seeking to know who's evil the account was on. The, the lots could have fell on anyone, but it fell rightly on Jonah. By all accounts, it looks like that they would have repented from their sin or, or if they would have been told or shown how to cry upon, upon the Lord, they would have cried upon the Lord in repentance. But we see that God's grace and mercy, it shows them to cry upon the Lord. The, the goodness of of God in this instance and the desire to want to be in right standing had them call upon the Lord and ask for forgiveness for the blood that they knew that they were about to have to shed in order to live. They knew that this man was going to have to die in order that they may live. And they, the last act was to cry to the God who had placed all these things in motion and to remind them that it was your good pleasure that this man was sacrificed on my account, that I may live. And in this moment, we see the gospel. We see that, that it, was, it was because of our rebellion. This is why Jesus is the greater Jonah, because it wasn't because of his rebellion that the, the storms and the sea raged, but it was because of our rebellion that we found ourselves in, in the storms and the sea and under the wrath of God at the time. But it was because of his sacrifice that we were able to to come out of it unscathed. It was because of his grace and his mercy. It was because of God making provision even before the beginning of time that that we should be saved and his son should be killed, um, that we are even alive. And we see that repentance is the only way to salvation today. The acceptance of Jesus Christ knowing our sins, knowing our heart idols, forfeiting our, our sin and heart idols, and not just confessing it before men, but in our heart, confessing it before God and turning over our wills to his will and to his will and mercy for our lives. Repentance from sin is the only way that we are going to escape the wrath of God. Admitting to God that we We feel about our sin the same way that you feel about our sin. But we can't row ourselves back to safety. We cannot do this on our own. So, Lord, I submit myself to your will. 
I submit myself to your plan of salvation for me. I know that your goodness is sufficient. I know that your grace is sufficient to save me from this situation. I know that your goodness doesn't waver whether I'm in the storm or not, Lord God. So I cry out to you right now. And this should be the heart of us Christians today. We should cry out to God. Knowing, knowing that the goodness of God and the grace of God is sufficient enough to save us from whatever situation that we would have. He said, if we would confess our sins, he is faithful. And he is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess with our our mouth and believe in our hearts today, we can have salvation. This is what God is calling us to. Even in the midst of our storms, we need to be crying out. We need to be seeking. We need to, to not have this woe is me attitude, but we need to know that we are sinners. Under the mercies of God, under the mercy of God, and, and whatever he chooses to do with us, his goodness it is right. His, we are in need of his mercy. We stand guilty before him. So we see that the goodness of God does, one, it exposes and rebukes sin. Two, it, it, it causes us to seek right standing with God. And three, if we were to repent, we are to cry out to the Lord, Yahweh. We are to cry out to, to God knowing that he has already made a plan of salvation for us through his son, Jesus Christ. We have to cry out and we have to lean. We have to get rid of our heart idols and we have to accept Jesus and his way and his will. We have to harden out our heart to his voice and his plan of salvation. We have to fully place our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ because we know that it is only by Jesus Christ that we are saved. First Philippians 1 and 6 tells us that in, in Paul's greeting that he that has begun a good work in us, we know that he will fulfill it until the day of salvation. I, I know that God has begun a good work in Jonah. He's not showing it, but God's goodness isn't done yet in his life. And, and a lot of us, God's goodness isn't done yet in our lives either. All we have to do is cry out to God. All we have to do is submit to him and to place our trust and faith in him. Amen.